Well, family, good, good to be here on a very significant uh, transition night for us. Um, next week, we will be moving over to our new home, uh, 100 West 5th. And uh, we'll be, of course, you'll get more in the mail about all that. But for now, just remember uh, families. And if you need a little help walking, uh, you park in the parking lot. Uh, right around the building, and if you, uh, if you can, can walk, park underneath the, the freeway in the lot there, and then we're working on getting a, uh, a, a fence cut open so we can go right through there. I don't know if they've done that yet, but that's, that's the plan, okay? So we'll see you uh, 5 o'clock next Sunday night, 100 West 5th. Can't believe it. Thanks for your faithfulness. How <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, And if you would like to be baptized, we are having our birthday party and our baptism that night. So if you haven't been baptized, talk to me. We'd love to baptize you. Right now we have one person being baptized. She's 92. And she called me and said, I need to get baptized. And we have had a delightful time this past year studying God's Word. And she's come to faith. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. And then the last little announcement, uh, in some ways this is a brand new chapter, and if you're new, we're starting something called Pilgrimage, Tuesday night, October 5th, and would love to have you be a part of that. We won't do it again till the spring. Um, go online on the website, look under Connect, then see Pilgrimage, and then uh, sign up. You're not committing to anything, but we would love to, to have, you, have you there. Well, Jesus preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what we've been talking about this fall. Luke 4, 43, Jesus says, I must preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we thought, well, this is kind of a new chapter in our life together. Let's kind of go back to foundations. What exactly does he mean when he says we preach the gospel of the kingdom of God? And we're following along an outline in an old book, uh, George Eldon Ladd's the gospel of the kingdom. Just a quick review of what we've covered so far. Uh, both the Hebrew word for the kingdom, Malkuth, and the Greek word, Basileia, describe the rule or the reign of God. And when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title, which means king. And so the the core of the gospel message is that Jesus is the saving king. He pre-existed with God the Father. He became human as a descendant of King David. He died for our sins. He was buried, rose again on the third day, was seen by over 500 witnesses. Then God installed Jesus as king at his right hand. Jesus sent the Spirit to be with his people as they live under his reign and one day he will return to reign fully. So the kingdom of God is the reign or the rule of God begun in Jesus' first coming and completed in his second coming. And to repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God is for you to declare your allegiance to Jesus as king, to turn around, to realign your life according to his will and authority. 
And it's not just a mystical or a spiritual rain. It has real-world consequences that affect what I do with my body, my creativity, my vocation, my politics, my money, my time, my Facebook account. So one writer uh, asks, well, what kind of kingdom will this be? And last week we looked at all the scriptures that talk about the kingdom coming. It will be a kingdom where in accordance with Jesus' prayer, God's name is truly hallowed. His will is done on earth. Everyone will have everything in abundance. All sin will be forgiven and evil overcome. It will be a kingdom where, in accordance with Jesus' promises, the poor, the hungry, those who weep and those who are downtrodden will finally come into their own, where pain, suffering, and death will have no end. It will be a kingdom, holy as the prophets foretold, of absolute righteousness, of unsurpassable freedom, of dauntless love, of universal reconciliation and of everlasting peace. Well, when will this kingdom come? Well, last week we, we saw that the biblical writers divide all of time into two ages, this age and the age to come. And the kingdom of God will only fully be present in the age to come. This age comes to its close with the second coming of Jesus Christ and is followed by the age to come. And the two ages are described in sharply different ways. This age is described as an evil age in which Satan has great influence, in which strong spiritual powers work against God and choke out the work of the gospel. Now, if those were the only verses, if we stopped the series after last week, we would have to conclude that the hope of the kingdom of God is entirely in the future. That it's, it's all promise, that you just kind of suffer, get through it here, and then one day you'll get to enjoy the kingdom of God. But there are many other scripture passages that describe an overlapping of the two ages. That say that the age to come, the blessings of the age to come, have broken into this present evil age. Now what we're going to unpack here for the next few minutes is it will take a little bit of work. We're going to cover a lot of scriptures, but it's the heart of understanding a life of discipleship and faith. Hebrews 6.5, Christians have tasted the powers of the age to come. So we live in the present evil age, but we have tasted the powers of the age to come. Galatians 1.4, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So we may live in the present evil age, but we are being delivered from its power through the work of Christ in our lives. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the present evil age does not have to control us because Christ has delivered us through the cross. We don't have to be conformed to the ways of this age. We can be transformed by the power of the age to come. Now, the Gospels 
describe what happens when the kingdom of God invades the present evil age, the domain of Satan. Uh, Matthew 4, 23 describes the beginning of our Lord's ministry. And he went about in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every infirmity among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Well, now, what's the relationship between the Lord's healing ministry and the good news of the kingdom of God? Well, the first recorded miracle in Mark's gospel provides an answer. Jesus comes to Capernaum on the Sabbath day. He enters the synagogue to teach, and we read, Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit came out of him, and they were all amazed, saying, What? A new teaching? With authority he commands the evil spirits, and they obey him. So Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God and demonstrates the power of the kingdom of God by healing and casting out demonic spirits. The 12th chapter of Matthew provides another example of this. The religious leaders are bewildered by Jesus' miracles and they say, well, actually, the source of his supernatural power is Satan. And Jesus says, Satan can't cast out Satan. And then he says, but if, the spirit, if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in Luke's recording of this event, he adds that Jesus says, what I'm doing now is I'm binding the strong man, Satan, so that I can take the spoil, that's us, from his house. In the 10th chapter of Luke, we see the kingdom of God breaking in in a similar way. The Lord sends 70 disciples out to preach, and in his instructions he says, heal the sick and say, the kingdom of God has come near you. And then seven verses later, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Now, Professor Ladd, he says, what is the gospel of the kingdom? It is this, that God is now acting among people to deliver them from the bondage to Satan. It is the announcement that God and the person of Christ is doing something. If you please, is attacking the kingdom of Satan himself. Jesus' power over demons was a disclosure that the powers of the age to come have invaded the present evil age. Another writer puts it like this, What the kingdom of God means, therefore, 
is that the hostile alien kingdom of demonic captivity, oppression, poverty, and blindness, physical and spiritual, is coming to an end through the ministry of Jesus. Now you may be kind of wrestling with this tension, and and we should wrestle with this tension, and you might be thinking something like this. Wait a minute, last week we looked at all these verses that say that this age is evil and under the influence of Satan. Uh, There's a lot of verses that say that, right? Three times in John's Gospel, Satan is described as the prince of this world. John says in his first letter, the whole world's under the power of the evil one. Paul calls Satan the god of this world, the ruler of the power of the air. Okay, all those verses are there, right? And yet Jesus says, I see Satan falling like lightning. And that's said many times in Scripture. Hebrews 2.14, Jesus became human that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. Colossians 2.15, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, satanic powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. 1 John 3.8, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. So the Bible asks us to hold two truths in tension, and this is something we talk a lot about. This is very important when you read the Bible. You don't just proof text and put it on your wall. The, the, the Bible is an is a inspired collection of voices that talk about God and His ways from a number of perspectives, and we have to look at them all together. So the two truths that we have to hold in tension are, one, Satan has great influence over this age, and will only be fully defeated in the age to come. And two, nonetheless, the age to come has broken into this age in Jesus, and Satan's power has been seriously disarmed. Now, I'm doing something I haven't done. Maybe I should do it more, given the kind of congregation that you are. Uh, pulling out some things from theological textbooks. And the way theologians, we're, we're in the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of the future, how it impedes on the present. This is called the already not yet dialectic, um, the already not yet tension, that there is a sense in which the kingdom is already here, and there is a sense in which the kingdom is not yet here. And we have to hold them in tension. The church gets in trouble when it focuses too much on the kingdom being not yet and when it focuses too much on the kingdom being already here, we hold them in tension. Um, a, a common analogy of this tension is the distinction between D-Day and V-Day in World War II. Uh, historians agree that for all intents and purposes, World War II was decided in the Battle of Normandy, referred to D-Day, on June 6, 1944. And on that day, the Allies dealt a fatal blow to Germany that rendered its defeat inevitable. But it took another year for Germany to surrender. That's V-Day. Between D-Day and V-Day, the victory the Allied forces had already, in principle won, was not yet manifested in actual fact. And so that's where we are in redemptive time, 
D-Day for the kingdom took place when Jesus culminated his work by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. When he did that, he dealt a fatal blow to the powers, and they were in principle defeated. Yet Christ's victory over the powers will not be fully manifested until V-Day, when Christ returns and fully establishes his kingdom. Well, that's a, a ton of theology. You might need to listen to this one again. If you're doing this in a small group, this, these are the kind of sermons that we encourage everybody here to be involved in a small group. Uh, if you need to get involved in a small group, let me know. Robert Hodge will help you find one. I send out questions based on these texts every Sunday afternoon. We can help you with this, but there's a lot to talk about here. Here's just a couple of applications. Um, first, there is a different kind of life available to us now, but it must be cultivated. Look at John's gospel particularly. He's always talking about, I come so that they may have life, eternal life, abundant life, now. Romans 6, like 1 to 2, you've been baptized into Jesus that you might walk in the newness of life. The Greek word means a new quality of life. So even though we live in the present evil age, even though Satan is still strong, even though we have sin in our flesh, we still get to taste of the powers to come and enjoy eternal life now. But you have to cultivate it. It doesn't come automatically. So we practice spiritual disciplines like prayer and studying, fellowship, fasting, generosity, service to nourish the kingdom life among us. We, we come together and we worship and live out liturgy and come to the table to nourish the kingdom life among us. We'll make sure we're part of a regular, small, intimate gathering of believers uh, that's praying and studying and telling stories for that same reason. We join spiritual direction triads to help us identify the work of God in our life. The, the blessings of the age to come are available to us now, but they don't come automatically. We have an enemy who wants to choke it out, and so you have to be intentional to nourish the blessings of the age to come. Second application, there is no neutral ground in the spiritual life. There are two kingdoms. There are not three kingdoms. There's no Switzerland that just kind of sits out the conflict. There's no Las Vegas where what, what's done here, what's to say there, or whatever they say. Nope, nothing like that. Uh, two kingdoms, not three. If, if you, for some reason, I'm into football this season, probably only because, one, I don't want to think about politics. Two, I don't want to think about global warming. Three, I don't want to think about COVID. So I'm just all into football. And I'm, I'm driving in. I should be praying. I'm listening to ESPN's afternoon football show and all that stuff. And it occurred to me, you, you never hear this. You know, Bob from Toledo is on the 40, just kind of wandering around. Bob, what's going on here? I'm just kind of neutral. You know, I don't want to get in the way. I'm just kind of, you know, I don't really care who wins. No, no, no. There's two teams, you're on one or the other. And that's true in the spiritual life. You're on one or the other. Every moment you're serving one or the other, you're yielding to one or the other, you're growing in one or the other, you're contributing to one 
or the other. Our work life is not neutral. Our reading life is not neutral. Our academic life is not neutral. Our digital life is not neutral. Our recreational life is not neutral. Our sexual life is not neutral. Our political life is not neutral. Our economic life is not neutral. We're always working for one team or the other. Three. This kind of worldview, however, must always be balanced with biblical teaching on the image of God in all person and God's common grace. If you know anything about the history of the church, if you, all you talk about is the warfare model and all you read are the apocalyptic texts, you can go to some dark places. So we don't want to just live there there's lots of scriptures that talk about every human being being made in the image of God, about God's reign falling on the just and the unjust, about hospitality to our neighbor, about learning and seeing God's common grace in all things. So all of that is important too. Uh, one way to think about the spiritual life is that of the kingdom of God in opposition to the kingdom of Satan. But that metaphor needs to be balanced so that we don't immediately go into this black and white word of God, you're evil, and you wind up in the crusades and, and horrible stuff. Remember, it's all about handling tension, right? It's all about handling tension. You know, I get so nervous when people say, I, I don't know, I, I just read the Bible and believe it. It's just kind of easy to me. I think, really? I've been studying the Bible 45 years, I've learned to read it in Greek and Latin and Hebrew, though forgotten all of it, and it's harder to read today than it was when I started. So maybe there's a little humility there. Four, struggle is normal. You know, I, I've said this before, I don't, I don't mean to focus on myself, but one of the things that has been so frustrating to me is I approach 60, and, uh, and just... My kids have tried to kill me before that, but it's not happened, and I'm going to get there. I thought I would be so much farther along spiritually at 60. I feel like I know God better, but I'm more aware of my sin th than I ever was before. The, the fallenness of the world disturbs me more than ever before. And I find comfort in knowing that it's already not yet, that this is an evil age. Satan still has a lot of power. And so it's okay if we're still struggling at 60 or 70 or 80 or 30. I love it when you 30-year-olds just kind of moan about how old you are. I just love that. Yeah. Just love it. Just love it. Two more, real quick. I know we don't have time to go into these, but any kind of justice work in the world needs to be rooted in a rich communal prayer life. And this is a whole sermon, but Paul often speaks of the principalities and powers, structures and society that have fallen or are opposed to the kingdom of God. When you work for justice for the kingdom of God coming on earth, you are opposing spiritual forces. And so justice work and contemplative work must go hand in hand. Um, Howard Thurman, 
is someone to learn from here. Uh, he's probably the most important civil rights leader you've never heard of. Uh, he never marched. He was a pastor and a teacher. He was deeply devoted to prayer. And uh, leaders of the civil rights movement would just come and have counsel with him, and he would talk to them about prayer and about how they needed to make sure that they were praying before they went back out to do the work of justice. John Lewis called him the saint of the movement. When Dr. King was 29, he nearly died from a tragic incident. And Dr. Thurman visited him in the hospital, and he, the, the civil rights movement was just taking off, and he said, uh, Martin, you have to stop, pull back. You need to spend more time on your soul, deepening your relationship with Christ, or you won't be able to sustain this. And then last, and I know we've gone long tonight, each of these could be a sermon on their own. If the kingdom of God is among us today, then Jesus is still in the business of freeing people from demonic oppression. That is part of the good news. And I know we've got to be careful. We've got to understand what we've learned from psychology. I know we've got to watch out all the abuses that can come with this kind of thing. But here is a danger, and it goes back to living in this tension. The church makes mistakes and then we swing so far to the other side that we don't even try any of the things that are part of the package. And we've made so many mistakes, if that was our goal, we might as well just, you know, all be watching football tonight. This is part of it too. Freeing people from demonic oppression through prayer in the name of Jesus is part of the coming of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've, you've done so much for us and in us. You've kept us through these past crazy months and years. And you've provided this lovely physical home for us. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun there. I'm so excited, so thankful for the people of God. But Lord, I pray that what we sense more than anything else in our new space is the presence of the kingdom of God. And I pray that what we're known for more than anything else is a place where you encounter the life-giving, healing, transformative presence of the kingdom of God. And I pray that as we walk metaphorically that block down there, that even this week, whether we can come out on Tuesday night for the prayer or prayer walk on Saturday morning, if it's just something we do at our home, that there'd be a sense of re-upping with you, not with all souls, with you, and redeclaring, Jesus, you're my saving king. I give you everything. I believe that my life with you, joyfully surrendering to you, is better than any life I could work out on my own. And may we be marked by that kind of joyful surrender, joyful allegiance to Jesus, the saving King. We ask this in your name. Amen. The Lord be with you.
Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord.